I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick a topic and walk you through the ins, the outs, and the nitty-gritty, so you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is... An exhaustive breakdown of how Reddit bankrupted Wall Street using gains... It's so hard to say GameStop stock. GameStop stock. GameStonk! So, what happened? Well, after a year of pandemics, protests, insurrections, and a whole mess of other chaos, 2021 flexed its glistening pectorals and promised not to relent in the punishing weirdness we've all been experiencing in our modern reality. And so, a subreddit called Wall Street Bets, a community of amateur internet investors who make a game out of buying up stocks and driving up prices, decided to mass invest in shares of the failing video game retail company GameStop as well as other floundering companies like AMC, effectively driving up its value 1,500% and putting several multi-million dollar hedge funds in danger of going out of business overnight. So, what does any of this mean, and how did they do it exactly? Well, we are going to exhaustively walk you through the process step-by-step and also explore how this weird internet meme might have changed the future of the stock market and our economy forever. Act 1. What kind of sad world do we live in when the underdog is a multi-billion dollar big box chain that was once owned by Barnes & Noble? Once upon a time, people went out into the world and visited buildings where they'd buy physical objects made of wood or metal or plastic or some combination of the three. That was all before the world became a hologram and our bodies merely the meat controllers we use to tap buttons to gain access to it. It's really hard to fathom the way our society and really our human experience has shifted from the tangible to the hypothetical in such a dramatic way. But I think the first time this really hit me personally was in 2015 when the multi-million dollar company with a team of 80 people working in a giant office in the valley that I work for had an internet outage for the entire day. And I realized that despite all these warm bodies and a giant office space full of expensive equipment, we literally couldn't do a single second of work. Because everything about what we did, from the labor, to the end product, to the product being delivered to the customer, all existed in the abstract of the cloud. Nothing we did was real. We generated hypothetical cash that we never saw by moving around numbers on a digital interface to show people flashing lights on a screen. So what do you do when the world of physical existence is supplanted by an intangible one? When it becomes less about what you have and who you know, and more about who you have the attention of and what you know? Well shit gets weird. Political coups planned in Facebook groups. Politicians getting elected because they became a meme. An album of an Adam Sandler impersonator singing the entire Hamilton musical going viral three years after it was posted. Check out our Sandlerton episode about the time we literally did that. A huge movement of people banding together to declare the Star Wars prequels better than the original trilogy. Neopets and Club Penguin penguins living together. Mass hysteria. And also, apparently... A group of Reddit trolls armed with nothing but a free smartphone app and Photoshop can bring Wall Street and the entirety of the U.S. stock market to its knees. So how did David finally crack the proverbial stone across the Temple of Goliath? How did Luke finally sink those proton torpedoes into the two-meter-wide thermal exhaust port on the Death Star? Hacking into a financial system and manipulating market conditions? 
Spamming bank websites with DOS attacks? Nope. With meme stocks. Fucking meme stocks. Because we didn't already have enough going on for that to be a thing we know exists. And what was this particular meme stock? Why, none other than that slice of early 2000s nostalgia that is GameStop. You know GameStop. The place in the mall you pressured your mom to drag you to in high school where you'd take in four Mack trucks full of barely used PlayStation 2 games to trade in and walk out with 42 cents? So what does any of this mean? Well, in short, a bunch of trolls on Reddit bought up tons of shares of failing GameStop stock, which artificially drove up the price of the stock, which in turn left a lot of very rich Wall Street people losing literally billions of dollars in a once-in-a-lifetime show of the internet banding together to cause an event so dramatic it might have a catastrophic or at least significant effect on our entire economy. But that's pretty vague, and also just calling them trolls might be a little unfair. But in order to truly explore what all this means, we need to go back a little and figure out how we actually got here. The three key factors we need to unpack here are A, GameStop as a company and the nuances of what led to the very specific financial position they were in that made them the prime candidate to serve as the catalyst for the American working class to rise up and steal wealth from the financial elite. B, the US stock market, how it was built and how it snowballed into the system that has produced these elite financial oligarchs who the working class sought to dethrone and C, the subreddit Wall Street Bets, where this entire thing was spawned from. Who they are, why they chose GameStop, and what inspired them to take on the fat cats of Wall Street in the first place. GameStop originally started out as a small software retailer founded in Dallas, Texas in 1984 called Babbage's. It was started by Harvard classmates James McCurry and Gary M. Custon, and named after famed mathematician Charles Babbage. The company opened its first store in the North Park Center in Dallas after a huge investment by former presidential candidate Ross Perot. It's just like, it's like word salad. It's like Mad Libs. Yeah, it doesn't make, I mean, one, Babbage's, James McCurry, and Gary M. Custon, that's some nerdy ass names, bro. Yep. Those dudes, those dudes are nerds. But on top of that, that takes such a left turn. Ross Perot? Yep. That doesn't make any sense. Can I finish? Can I finish investing in GameStop? Can I finish? Can I finish? Can I finish here just giving you this giant cartoon size check? <laughs> Try to give you one of those giant novelty checks, but it says Ross Perot loves GameStop. You know, you know, and we're going to recreate the scene from the social network. But instead of Justin Timberlake saying, uh, drop the the in Facebook, just just, just Facebook, we're going to take the Babbage's, drop the Babbage's and go to GameStop. They wouldn't let him finish because they named it Babbage's and wouldn't relent on his suggestion for years ross we hear what you're saying we're loving the energy we love that you're committed to our cause of bringing gaming to a you know a democratized public you know largely uh in a console world that we're predicting will be here by the early 90s we think that Babbage is uniquely positioned to be within the marketplace to serve those needs. Before you finish, before you finish, before you finish, let me just say Babbage's is a dog shit name. Before you finish, before you finish. It's a fucking stupid name. Hold on, before you finish, before you finish. Let me just say Babbage's gotta go. If if Babbage's doesn't go, Ross Perot is gonna go. What are you selling? Games. What are you trying to get people to do at your store? Stop at it to get the games. GameStop. What does Babbage's mean? You trying to get them to buy some weird mythological cabbage creature? I don't know what the fuck that is. (laughs) (laughs) Gary M. Custon like puts a small dog sized carrier case further under the table. No, Ross, we don't have a 
<laughs> tiny homunculi-esque cabbage monster that we've been genetically breeding for years to help people install their gaming systems in their homes. No, we don't. Can I see it? Can I see it? Can I see that <laughs> tiny cabbage monster guy? Yes, the presidential candidate who was maybe the first ever political meme is personally responsible for the measly four bucks you got for trading in your copy of GTA Vice City after your mom demanded you get rid of it because she saw a bunch of news reports about how it was turning kids into school shooters. The company was one of the earliest adopters of cashing in on the home console video game craze in the early 80s and found success selling Atari 2600s and eventually the original NES and its games and peripherals. However, the specialty video game retail market almost immediately started tanking in the late 80s on account of bigger department stores offering video games as well. Why stop by some random little shop to get your new Nintendo game when you can just grab it at Walmart while your parents were buying groceries? In 1994, Babbage's merged with a similar specialty computer software retailer based out of Minnesota called Software Etc. The companies merged under a new holding company called Neostar Retail Group and had a combined 600 plus locations. The merger functions as a stock swap where shareholders of Babbage's and Software Etc. receive shares of Neostar, a detail we wouldn't normally even mention, but we really want to start throwing down breadcrumbs for how increasingly insane, confusing, and hypothetical the world of stock trading is. And this is a prime early example. Two stores merging but not changing names or products, just simply moving their names underneath another name on a computer screen and non-existent digital certificates being swapped out for identical non-existent digital certificates with a different name written on them. Neostar shuffled management over the next several years and relocated to Grapevine, Texas. But unfortunately, combining the physical locations of Babbage's and software, etc., and corporate restructuring really didn't improve the health of either company. Sales continued to decline throughout the 90s as Walmart and Target ate their lunch. And in 1996, after being unable to secure the credit necessary to purchase inventory for the holiday season, Neostar filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Neostar was dissolved and Babbage's and Software Etc. were purchased by big shot stockholder Leonard Riggio, one of the original founders of Software Etc. as well as a chairman and principal stockholder of Barnes & Noble. Before the sale went through, Electronics Boutique, another video game and computer software retailer, put in an offer to buy the companies. But Riggio's was approved by a judge because his plan promised to close 200 fewer of the company's locations than Electronic Boutique's. More fake numbers sitting in a spreadsheet somewhere. Riggio created a new holding company for the two retailers called Babbage's Etc. Because business is just moving around words and mixing and matching shit in a Microsoft Word document and going, am I rich yet? Then, in 1999, Babbage's Etc. launched a new brand of retail outlets that exclusively dealt in video games called GameStop. It launched with 30 locations located in strip malls, as well as GameStop.com, a website that sold video games to compete in the soon-to-be-catastrophic.com bubble of the time. Soon after, Riggio sold the entirety of Babbage's Etc. to Barnes & Noble, the company he was a primary stockholder in, because... Yo dog, I heard you liked owning stuff, so I sold the company I owned to the other company I own so I could own companies while I'm owning companies. In May of 2000, Barnes & Noble acquired Funko Land, another Minnesota-based video game retailer, and placed Babbage's Etc. and GameStop underneath it as a subsidiary. They also acquired the video game magazine Game Informer, along with the purchase of Funko Land. Eventually, in 2002, after this perennial shuffling of names, numbers, owners, management, and branding, the entire company was renamed to just be GameStop Inc., and it was taken public at the New York Stock Exchange. It was listed under the ticker symbol GME. Barnes & Noble controlled the majority stake in the company until 2004, when it distributed its 59% stake, making GameStop Inc. a completely independent company once again. In 2005, GameStop acquired Electronics Boutique, now called EB Games, for $1.4 billion, and rebranded all EB Games locations as GameStops. 
So I, I have a vivid memory of this period in time. Whenever I was in high school in 2005, I mean, we, we were both sophomores in high school. I remember this, this time distinctly because we had several EB games and we had a couple of game stops. And then one day they just all were game stops. And there's, there was even at the mall, there was an EB games a few like yards away from a game stop. And then the EB games became a GameStop. And then we just had two GameStops at the mall. <laughs> and like they, they, one of them never closed. It, we just had two of them. Yeah, they, in, in Tucson, they didn't really have too many. Or at least I don't remember very many EB games. Like I remember them being around, but I don't remember ever going to one. Whereas GameStops, there were there were a few. There was one in the Tucson mall and then there was one or there was one in like a strip strip mall next to the Tucson mall. And my friend David, who was a tattoo artist, worked there part time. And I remember going in there and I bought I bought some N64 games there well after the N64 had died. Well, me, me and my brother were in I mean, we were in Funko Land all the time. And eventually, I guess GameStop just buying up buying up them used games. GameStop Inc. spent the rest of the 2000s making more big acquisitions of similar retail outlets. Free record shops in Norway, Micromania in France, and Jolt Online Gaming and Congregate, both browser-based video game developers, plus a bunch of other random stuff. They now had stores all over the globe as well as a presence in the actual video game publishing market. For a while, business was actually good for GameStop. With their purchase of Funko Land, they inherited that business's used game trading practice, which was really the heart of what made GameStop successful for those few years. You could come in and buy used games for cheaper and also trade in your used games for some cash. But as the meme goes, and as I've mentioned a few times already, you couldn't get very much for trading in. That all changed in the late 2010s. Market conditions started changing rapidly for GameStop with the advent of digital online-only technologies. Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo launched online stores for their consoles, and Steam came into existence. It was becoming easier and more normal to buy games on the internet from your living room with no physical purchase. And also, as more and more people bought digitally, there were fewer and fewer physical games being traded in to be resold. In 2016, GameStop sales for the holiday season dropped by 16.4%, and their stocks also fell by 16%. Then, shares dropped an additional 8% when Microsoft announced the Xbox Game Pass, a subscription service where you paid a monthly fee and got access to a huge curated library of games you could play on your console. In 2017, GameStop announced the closure of 150 stores, the first big downsizing they'd experienced after years of rapid expansion. The company started trying to diversify its sales into collectibles, which were actually experiencing an increase in sales. However, GameStop's profits fell by 7.6% in total that year. In June of 2018, GameStop was exploring a possible sale, but it didn't pan out and abandoned pursuing a sale in 2019. That year, GameStop recorded a record-breaking net loss of $673 million in profits, a change from $34 million in net profits the previous year. Up to this point, a total of 783 GameStop locations had shuttered in the past two years, 462 of them in 2020 alone. A lot of this was due to a consistent decline in sales, but it was helped along significantly by the COVID-19 pandemic, which forced most non-essential brick-and-mortar stores to close their doors to the public for months at a time, unable to conduct business for fear of continued spread of the virus. Which led us to today. As of a few weeks ago, GameStop had all but resigned themselves to the fact that they were facing an inevitable Chapter 11 bankruptcy filing at a minimum of some time in the middle of 2022, if not sooner. They intended to continue shuttering stores throughout 2021, ultimately planning to close a total of about 1,500 locations in total, including the previous 783. But that's all changed in the last few days, literally overnight. How? Because of the extremely volatile nature of the U.S. stock market, 
where company values sometimes skyrocket or tank based on arbitrary rumors or the slightest weird fluctuation in opinion. But also when a bunch of Redditors decided that they wanted to save their favorite childhood store and stick it to the man at the same time. This whole story, it's fascinating to me because it's, I mean, we've we've talked before on the show and in real life about how much speculators drive me crazy um, and how the comic book industry almost was destroyed because of speculators and how annoying I think that they are. And this same story, this rapid expansion, a couple bad business moves, and then a, a market drifting away from the core business is so similar to what happened in the comics industry in the 90s. And they only were able to, Marvel was on, only able to save themselves. They did declare bankruptcy and they were only able to sa- save themselves by selling off their movie rights um, to some of their characters. And throughout the, this whole thing happening, the thing I've been thinking about is like, what would have happened if Reddit existed in like the late 90s? <laughs> like, would it be this, but just comics dorks being like, I won't let Marvel go under. Probably, yeah. I mean, if 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 Reddit existed and if the more importantly, if the kind of meme culture existed, because that's really what this is. It's it's, you know, Reddit is the tool or the platform that gives people the voice and the community. But really, like all of these things, like, you know, we talk about we talk about stuff on these episodes a lot, whether it's like the Verhoeven's toupee episode and the kind of the stuff we were talking about in that one or. The Helen Keller episode um, or um, the Dan Bilzerian episode, some of the stuff we talked about on that. And the unifying factor of all of them is that it's all memes. Like memes are like the fucking universal theory of everything in terms of like how society shifts and and evolves now where literally people get elected into office because they become a meme. Shit like this happens because it becomes a meme. People deny Helen Keller's existence because it becomes a meme. That's really the the heart of it is just this idea of like ideas propagating through social media and getting into people's brains and causing these like macro revolutions in whatever specific thing that it is. Well, I think there's also though it, there's a um and we've talked about this before where there's there's a there's a kind of a herd mentality that's that's a kind of cruel way to put it but there's a there is a implicit um desire that humans have to trust the world around them when everything is telling you this is the way it is you know what i mean like when there's when you walk outside and it seems like it's sunny and it's hot and uh people are wearing shorts you're like oh it's probably summer and then when someone comes by and is like man it's a hot summer day you're like wow it's it's the summer. And the thing is, when people exist online now because of the pandemic, even more so than before, and there's a culture around these various subtopics that people may or may not be intimately familiar with. Um, when there's this meme culture like you're, that we're discussing of this kind of like a prevailing attitude or a sense of point of view at a specific subject that is cultivated and um, entrenched people and ensnares them, it's completely understandable why their worldview just becomes cemented in that. And that that type of behavioral pattern can be modified and and used for a myriad of purposes, like you're talking about political organizations or, um, you know, uh, to pacify people or to, like we're talking here, 
use this idea of memifying a nostalgic impression of the past to wage a culture war. I think that herd mentality is a pretty good description of it because, I mean, especially especially when it comes to the stock market, as we're going to get into, you know, moving forward, um, you know, with some with the way that the macroeconomics of the stock market works, a lot of times really does come down to this human instinctual behavior. People panic selling or people jumping onto a trend whenever they see that something is being bought by a lot of people. That really is what it is. It's like these, it's like a snowball effect. And that's, and I think that's how any of these memes work and anything, anything on social media works is like the, the, the platform is doing a, a lot of the heavy lifting of the work of like propagating it out and showing it to more people, but it becomes a feedback loop or the algorithm is only responding to the feedback it's getting from users, from people. And so as something starts to catch on, it's basically like this weird feedback loop snowball effect where a couple of people latch onto it. And then the algorithm is like, oh, like, yeah, like, I guess people were wanting to see this and they'll start showing it to more people. And then more people will see that being shared by other people. And they'll be like, oh, there's something going on here. Like people are talking about this. People are thinking that this is good or, and you know, you can relate, anybody can relate to that where you see something on the internet and you don't really care about it until you start seeing people sharing it. Like, you know, like a video where some, some video gets shared or something and you don't hear the video and you kind of see it and you're familiar with it. And you're like, Oh yeah, I've seen this a couple of times, whatever this is. And then you see like a couple of your friends sharing it. And then that suddenly you're like, Oh, wait a minute. Is this something I need to watch? And then you'll actually watch it finally because five of your friends have shared it and said something, uh, you know, interesting about it or said something that gives an indication that it's good or funny or whatever it is. And then finally, you're like, oh, maybe I should watch this. This thing that you went from like not giving a shit about suddenly has market share for your attention because of the social herd mentality of seeing that snowball effect around you that's being facilitated by social media. Thanks for listening to this episode. You should definitely go like the Facebook page for the Deep Cuts pod because we do lots of cool video content on there that you'll be sure to like. Also, please join our Facebook group. That's Deep Cuts Podcast on Facebook and the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. Also follow us on Instagram at Deep Cuts Pod. Today we have something exciting to tell you about and that's that we now have Mystery Treehouse Investigation Agency membership patches, three and a half inch patches that you can buy and put on jackets or sweater vests. They're pretty cool. They've got an illustration of me and Dave as the Mystery Treehouse Investigation Agency. I've got a, a, a magnifying glass. Dave's got a flashlight drawn and colored by Dave. You can go to any of our websites and go to the store. You can go to heydavebaker.com. You can go to dapricerights.com where they're available. Or you can go to deepcutspod.com and go to the official merch store for Deep Cuts. Act two, at some point during this episode, it's going to suddenly dawn on you the origin of the phrase, don't sell yourself short, and you're going to go, oh, inside of your head, but then pretend like you always knew. In the immortal words of Raphael, one of the four Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you got to understand crumpet before you understand cricket. 
And much in the same way, I'm guessing that a lot of you listening to this either A, are listening because you actively want to learn about this crazy GameStop stock market shit and stumbled across this explainer, or B, are a loyal Deep Cuts listener who wants to hear our take on it. But there's probably a lot of you that, despite your curiosity, don't actually know anything about the stock market or how it works. So now is the time for you to learn once and for all, right here, right now. From two idiots who make a living turning weird monsters and robots in our imaginations into goofy videos, comics, and podcasts. Common wisdom has always dictated that the success of the U.S. stock market is directly tied to the health of the U.S. economy. If the stock market is booming, so is the economy. However, despite the fact that the stock market has been booming for 40 years pretty much nonstop, the economy hasn't been growing at the same pace. From 1965 to now, U.S. average hourly wages have gone from $20.19 to just $22.49. That's from 1965 to 2016-ish. And the average American family's net worth hasn't recovered from the Great Recession in 2008, having plummeted at the time from 119000 in 2007 to 67000 in 2008, and now, once again around 2016, 76000 The origins of investing date back to ancient Greece, where ship captains would share a percentage of profits with those who shared in the risk of financing a trading voyage. In ancient Rome, they sold stock in gigantic construction projects that could not be financed by a single business person. In the 1600s in Holland, Dutch companies needed capital for international trade, but instead of selling stock in individual voyages, they sold shares of stock in the companies conducting the voyages for the very first time. This caused chaos because people could sell their shares of stock to each other over time, and the prices would go up or down based on arbitrary rumors. The world's first stock exchange was founded, and stockbrokers of the time would buy and sell these stocks under the volatile conditions. It was truly like gambling because the slightest rumor could send a certain stock plummeting or skyrocketing. Many stockbrokers were frequently ruined by a stock randomly plummeting. However, the people of the city didn't care because it didn't affect the economy, only the brokers who were trading, and the people often felt like they deserved it for being so careless with their money. In the 1700s in Paris, stock scams started popping up. John Law, a Scottish economist, sold stocks in fictitious gold mines. <laughs> John law-abiding citizen, George totally not breaking the lawsman, and Ross Perot, can I finish? Can I finish ripping you off? Winston, I'm totally being honest with you, Berg. <laughs> the stocksman by trade. You see, I'm here and my name is Larry totally up to totally normal totally goodsenstein Stein. And if you thought that was funny or weird, in London, brokers sold stock in a company developing a device that could turn chicken into sheep. <laughs> what the fuck? What the fuck does it even mean? I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Who? Who? What? They're just like, we haven't the Alchemizer 5000. This ch this chicken's going to lay an egg that's going to birth a sheep. <laughs> it really kind of puts things into perspective with all the sort of somewhat hyperbolic things that we say nowadays where we're just like, I can't believe how stupid people are. Or like, we're just getting stupider and stupider, all this QAnon bullshit or whatever, which is, don't get me wrong, very stupid. But then you're like... Motherfuckers thought that a machine could turn a chicken into a sheep, and they bought and sold stock based on it. <laughs> this is like, do you remember when, like, Bitcoin first popped off, and there was, like, two guys in, like, I think Florida who got arrested for selling 
bitcoins, like gold coins that they claimed were bitcoins to people. I do remember that. This is this is like that, but in the 1700s. <laughs> it's a chick. You want this chicky chicky sheep sheep machine? Yo, come over here. You want a you want a fucking contraption that could transmogrify a chicken into a sheep? Some equivalent exchange shit? Imagine what else could do. This shit right here. It could turn a chicken into a sheep. Imagine what what could happen if you put your little dingling in there. You know. Hmm? <laughs> Why would you want whatever the results of that would be? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You're out here. You're like, hey, you wanna, you wanna, you want a chicken and a sheep? Maybe you want a dick that turns into a stone. I don't know. This is your, this is your thing, man. You're the one giving me those. I want my dick to turn into a stone face. I don't know. All right, listen. Five bucks, and you can fuck this chicken sheep machine. What voice is this I'm doing? It's the 1700s in England, and I'm doing like Goomba from New York. <laughs> it's it's fucking Jay Letty. It is colonial, oh my God, colonial yeah. Jay Letty. Colonial Jay Letty. Yeah, just the fucking Jared Leto's weird phase as a club kid in the late 90s. Maybe he's a maybe he's one of those perennial time traveler guys. The like weird portraits of Jay Z in like you know 1594 or whatever. E-Network has uncovered this old footage of Jared Leto before he was a star. Let's look back in the early 90s, before he came to be known as the star that we know him as today. Yo, you want to fuck this chicken machine? (laughs) Why does everything come back to fucking the machine with you? Look, man, I'm just going off of the energy your eyes are giving me, okay? (laughs) I bet you didn't expect expect this when, uh, when you wrote this script. Yes, I did. These scams would drive up prices until people started to panic and sell. This caused wild fluctuations in market stability all over the globe. However, stocks helped turn Europe into the largest economic powerhouse throughout the 1700s. In the mid-1600s, New York City had a wall built around it to keep out surrounding Native Americans. Then, a hundred years later, the wall was gone, but the path that ran alongside it formed into the heart of New York City's commerce and business, dubbed Wall Street. Holy shit! Holy shit, I did not know that. Yeah, because when you when you hear Wall Street and you're like, "Oh, what's the what's the interesting story behind that? Like what's the what's the rich history that went into the naming of the our our nation's financial capital?" It's like, "Oh, there was a wall to keep out Native Americans and there was a street next to it and they just called it Wall Street." So it's just like the most dumb on the nose thing that's also just entrenched in colonialism. Wow. You know, I really wish that I had learned about this in school. God damn it. <laughs> I really wish that someone had told me about the entrenched racism that our country is literally founded on. But we don't really have schools in Arizona, so I never heard of I never heard I did not know that Wall Street was named after a literal wall to try and keep out the people who lived on this land before we stole it from them. Crazy. You want to know what they were keeping them out in order to do on this street? What? It was where slave auctions were held. (laughs) Because they're literally... Oh my god! Oh my god! What the fuck? It's like a, it's a, it's a, it's a, just all a shitty racist hat on a shitty racist hat. Oh my God. Because there literally isn't anything in this country's history that doesn't involve racism at some point. Wow. 
I am floored by this. I definitely double took on that detail. I didn't expect to cross paths with slavery during learning about the stock market. It was also where criminals were held publicly in stocks for public humiliation. George Washington was sworn in as the first U.S. president on Wall Street in 1789. It was also where merchants gathered to auction off stocks in banks and mines. In 1792, 24 merchants signed a document called the Buttonwood Agreement. Look, I know you're trying to fuck a chicken, but what if you put wood up your butt? Huh? We could sign an agreement right now, but in wood. Huh? Huh? No? You don't want to do that? Okay, all right, fine. You've Now you've gone from from turning chickens into sheep and fucking the machine that does that into just literally, you're just promoting bestiality, dude. What the fuck are you doing? This guy obviously just keeps trying to invent, like, new devices, and then he just fails at it, and then he tries to quickly rebrand it as a sex machine. <laughs> Like, like, bro, if you just had, like, a little bit of marketing finesse, you could turn this into, like, a sex-positive, body-positive... No, no, no. I just want to... Just fuck some chickens. That's what I want to do. I just want to fuck some chickens, okay? It's 1792. There's 24 guys out here. One of them's got to be in the chickens. That's all I'm saying. The Buttonwood Agreement was named after the type of tree the merchants stood under for auctions of stocks. That prohibited government regulation of auctions and prevented any new people from joining on the exchanges. They then founded the New York Stock and Exchange Board and moved their auctions into a tavern where nobody was allowed in but members of the board. If you wanted to buy or sell stock, you had to hire a broker that was a member of the board to do it. Initially, stocks were sold in an auction style one by one. Only reputable stocks were sold and the sales were recorded. Only 30 companies were traded in the exchange, and there were only a few brave merchants who were willing to buy stocks, because they were so volatile. People were afraid of losing everything, so the only people at the time who traded stocks were outright speculators and people who wanted to take control of the companies that they were buying stock in. After a time, a secondary stock exchange trading in the stocks of less reputable companies started taking place out on the street amongst brokers who weren't allowed inside of the tavern. The Industrial Revolution would bring massive changes to the stock market thanks to huge technological leaps. The possible origin of the term bull and bear on Wall Street are thought to be from a type of bullfight from the Old West, where a bull and a bear would be pitted against each other. The bull could win by thrusting its horn upward into the bear, killing it, while the bear could win by putting its weight down on the bull and breaking its neck. Bulls are brokers who expect stock prices to rise. Bears are brokers who anticipate drops in the market. Bears use drops to outwit other brokers. So essentially, we'll delve into this a little bit more, but just to kind of like quickly drill into that and kind of clarify it, you know, so on the stock market, there is this typical parlance of describing different types of brokers. And there are bulls or people who are bullish on stocks. And there are bears or brokers who are bearish on stocks. And a bullish stockbroker will basically be looking for stocks that they think are going to raise in value so that they can buy them cheaper and then allow them to go up in price and then sell them for a profit. Whereas bearish stockbrokers essentially look for opportunities to game the system where they will notice stocks that they think are going to go down in price or are going down in price and then basically trick people into buying them when they're higher and then allow them to tank and then buy them back for the cheaper price. And we'll go more into that later on what that is uh, because it's, a, a big part of what this whole thing is. 
The stock market became the linchpin of the American railroad industry and allowed for the mass expansion of railways across the country. Railway construction couldn't be funded by a single company, so selling stocks in railroad companies was integral to railway expansion. Hetty Green, a famous investor, became the richest woman in the world by investing heavily in railroads during this time. Over time, the New York Stock Exchange moved to get bigger and bigger, finally settling in a large building on the corner of Wall and Broad Streets, where it basically remains to this day. They've built a new building, but that's basically where the stock exchange is. At this time, with no government regulations, the Wall Street bears would roam the floors of the stock exchange making deals, deliberately inflating or deflating prices of stocks to suit whatever schemes they were trying to pull at the time. These speculators would build or blow up companies at will for personal gain. One of the most notorious bears was Jay Gould, a former store clerk that became one of the market's most detested raiders. He was known as the Mephistopheles of Wall Street. He helped create the technique of the short sale. Using this technique, he would borrow stocks, sell them, publish vicious rumors about the company in a newspaper he owned, which would drive the stock price down dramatically, and then buy them back. This process could often ruin the company and the shareholders involved. But more on short selling later. Over the next several decades, the stock exchange remained a chaotic place. Every 20 years, a huge financial crash in prices would occur, and brokers would fill the streets around the exchange in panic. Sometimes this would force the exchange to close for days. In 1832, the telegraph was invented, which removed the need for regional stock exchanges and allowed New York to become the financial capital of the United States. On July 8, 1889, issue one of the Wall Street Journal was published, created by Charles Dow and Edward Jones. Within the publication was the Dow Jones Industrial Average, a daily index of the 12 most important stocks. It became a stock market barometer. With the Industrial Average, you could keep your eye on the long-term trends and not be confused by the short-term static. The 1920s brought the biggest boom in the economy in the stock exchange. Buying and trading in stocks had become something that regular people were getting more and more involved in. It became a part of American culture to buy stocks in companies, and so millions of people who didn't really understand the stock market were trading. Shady brokers pressured investors into buying questionable stocks. Investors bought stock on credit. You could buy a stock at 10% margin, or in other words, you could buy a $100 stock for $10 and the stock became collateral for a loan for the other $90. In the late 20s, analysts and experts started to fear that the bubble was going to burst. In 1929, consumer spending had dropped, which caused tons of stock prices to dramatically drop. All of the investors who had bought stock on credit no longer had stock valuable enough to serve as collateral for their loans, so they had to put up cash to cover the loans or else their account would be liquidated. Thousands of investors could not front the cash and accounts started being liquidated en masse. Everyone wanted to sell and nobody wanted to buy. All stock prices were driven lower. In 1932, Franklin Roosevelt was elected president and vowed to majorly reform the stock market. He ordered the New York Stock Exchange to close for weeks and signed reform bills forcing brokers and bankers to be more responsible with people's money. This reform caused a new surge in investors buying stocks because they felt like the deck was no longer stacked against them. Roosevelt started the Securities and Exchange Commission, or the SEC, to oversee the stock exchange and enforce the new rules. The SEC set about cleaning up Wall Street. They arrested many but weren't able to land many convictions. Throughout the 30s and 40s, people moved away from investing in the stock market. Then, in the 1950s, a focus is put on democratizing investing, targeting the middle-class nuclear family to invest in stocks. The baby boomers reinvigorate the stock market with solid investing rather than speculation. The market recovers. And we've more or less existed within this paradigm ever since. We've had many financial crises, but the stock market has always functioned more or less the same. But how exactly does the stock market work? So a company wants to expand. The bank thinks it's too risky to give them a loan and rich investors aren't interested. So the company can go public with an initial public offering or an IPO, where investors can buy small shares of stock in the company, which helps to fund the growth of the company. The growth of the company will lead to increased revenue. 
If the company is doing really well, it can give some of the money back to the investors in the form of dividends. Dividends make people more likely to buy stock in company. So even though they're not required to give dividends, companies will often offer them in order to drive up value of their stock. If somebody owns stock shares in a company, they can sell them to somebody else. If the company is highly valued and people think that it's going in a successful direction, they'll be more likely to want to buy stock, hoping that it'll pay off bigger in the future. So people will be more likely to pay higher prices to buy stock from somebody than what they initially paid for it. This demand drives the price of stock up, which makes the company's overall stock more successful and valuable. This continues happening until some kind of setback, a failed project, drop in revenue, or an unfavorable prediction about the future of the company will make people want to sell their stock. The decrease in demand of buyers and increase in sellers will drive the price of the stock down and lower the value of the company. The two largest stock markets are the New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ. The way to know the overall health of the stock market is by looking at these two exchanges. You can do this by looking at the indexes, which gather all the stock prices and spit them out into averages that are easier to understand. The S&P 500 tracks 500 of the most important companies, whereas the Dow Jones only tracks the top 30. Companies need shareholders to expand, but shareholders want to make money. If a company makes bad decisions, shareholders will want to sell their shares. When they make good decisions, more people will want to buy the shares. So the case for the good of the stock market is that it creates a paradigm that holds companies to consistently making good decisions, which creates more jobs. In the modern era, however, stock prices are driven by speculation, not the cutthroat self-serving speculation of the early days of Wall Street. Well, kind of, but more regulated, but rather a huge group of people all bidding within the market, not on which stocks they think are the most valuable, but what stocks they think other people think are the most valuable. Hedge funds betting against stocks and people investing and selling based on financial analyst forecasting. So because of this, company stocks aren't valuable based on the actual success of the companies, but rather the stories surrounding the companies. Sometimes these narratives are based on facts, like when stocks for Chipotle plummeted after a string of E. coli outbreaks at stores across the country happened, or based on meaningless hype, such as the dot-com bubble of the late 90s, when people speculated that dot-com companies were going to be the next big thing and prices soared, only for the bottom to fall out of the industry, leaving several investors in financial ruin. In the 80s, a philosophy took hold that companies' sole purpose was to please their shareholders, and therefore their function was to make profits. CEO salaries started to be tied to share price increases, and so CEOs would make decisions solely based around increasing stock prices, even if it was harmful to employees, customers, or the environment. They'd put money into things that increase profits in the short term, like cost-cutting measures, or buying back shares of their company to decrease available supply of shares and artificially bump up the price. Between 2007 and 2016, companies in the S&P 500 spent over half of their earnings on buying back stocks. 39% was spent on paying dividends. This left very little for employee raises, innovation, etc. Layoffs, lack of innovation. These decisions are great for short-term profit, but bad for the economy long-term. The stock market has consistently grown over the last several decades, as well as CEO paychecks. In 1971, CEOs made about 22 times more than the average worker. In 2016, it was 271 times. So we have a behemoth financial institution full of oligarchs exponentially getting richer, literally at the expense of not only the 99% of the working class, but also literally the environment, their own employees, and even the overall lifetime of their own company. And this is just how our society works, and it gets worse and worse every year. And seemingly nobody with power has any interest in changing it. So, what can we do? Well, that's where the subreddit Wall Street Bets comes in. Act 3. In Soviet Russia, 
game stonks you. So let's really get into the nitty gritty of what happened here. Essentially, due to the continued decline of GameStop's financial success, their stocks continue to plummet every day. Before this whole thing happened, their stock got to be as low as three bucks. And not only was it low, but a lot of brokers actually believed that the stock was being overvalued. Even at the dirt cheap prices it was at, a lot of people on Wall Street were convinced that GameStop was so thoroughly fucked after years of declining sales, the obsolescence of physical media and video gaming and being hammered by COVID shutdowns, that they were basically dead in the water and even their measly share prices were going to massively nosedive as soon as they inevitably filed for bankruptcy any day now. So what happens when a company's stock is low and also being overvalued, and a handful of financial managers have a hunch that it's going to drop even lower very soon? Well, typically what happens is that a hedge fund will short sell the stock. So what is a hedge fund and what does short selling mean? Well, here to explain it to you is Dave Baker in a bubble bath. The use of hedge funds in financial portfolios has grown dramatically since the start of the 21st century. A hedge fund is just a fancy name for an investment partnership that has free reign to invest aggressively in a wider variety of financial products than most mutual funds. Essentially, it's a group of brokers who are given a pool of a lot of rich people's money, and they're allowed to invest that money in any way they see fit in order to return a massive gain for themselves and said rich investors. Hedge funds are positioned to be able to make money even when the stock market is down. How? Because they don't just invest in stocks, hoping that they'll rise in order to sell high and earn dividends. Instead, they use a system called long-slash-short equity. If a stock is doing well and they anticipate it climbing, they'll be on the long of the stocks. In other words, hold on to them in order to sell higher later. But if the stock is low and the hedge fund has a suspicion that the stock is overvalued or will plummet soon, they will short it. So what is shorting? Short selling is a tactic used by hedge fund managers and investors who will predict that the stock is about to go down. Short sellers borrow shares of stock, usually from a broker dealer, before immediately selling them at the market price. They must then, at some point, buy back those shares and return them to the lender. If the stock's value decreases, as they predict, the short seller will make money as they buy the shares back at a reduced price and return them to the broker and pocket the difference. However, if the stock value increases, the short seller must still return the shares. This means buying them back for more money than they sold them for and therefore losing money. Let's say that a share is worth $100 and a hedge fund manager thinks it's overvalued and will soon drop. They'll borrow the stock from the lender and then they'll sell it to an institution for $100. Then afterwards, the share tanks and drops to $50. The hedge fund buys back the share for $50, returns it to the lender, and keeps $50. This is a big part of how hedge funds make money. Hmm, the effect doesn't really work without the visual, I guess. So GameStop seemed so completely screwed that a lot of hedge funds were shorting its stock. Hedge funds were betting against GameStop so hard that they were actually shorting more GameStop stock than even existed. GameStop was being shorted 140%. How? Here's Davey in that bubble bath again. Basically, a hedge fund can borrow shares from a lender and then sell them to another institution. And then that institution can lend them to another hedge fund, who can then sell them to another institution. So, if a company has 150 shares of stock, 
and a hedge fund borrows 100 shares from a lender and then sells them to another lender and then a different hedge fund borrows those 100 shares from the second lender and sells them to a third lender, even though the company only has 150 shares, there are 200 shares being shorted in the market. And that could keep going on forever and forever and forever, in theory. The more shares were being shorted by more hedge funds, the higher the risk gamble becomes, because if the share prices do not lower, or God forbid, they don't rise, the hedge funds still have to buy back those stocks even if they are more expensive than what they sold them for. So if the hedge fund sells $100 and then the shares go up to $200, the hedge fund has to buy it for $200 in order to return it to the lender and they lose $100 in the process. So, you know, basically as as this nude, lathered up Dave Baker just covered in soap suds just explained... The big short, the big, the big short is actually an anagram for Dave Baker in a tub in bubble bath. Uh, if, if you rearrange the letters, it, 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 it spells that out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so, so these, you know, a lender, a, a financial institution will have these shares of stock available and the hedge fund, which is basically just financed with all of this rich people money. So they just have, they have literally billions of dollars that have been given to them by like a handful of rich people. And the rich people are like, do whatever you want with this money and just make more money. And I don't even want to know what you're doing. Uh, not in like a shady way, because this is all perfectly legal, but they just don't, they just are like, do it. And well, just because it's legal doesn't mean it's not shady. I, what I'm saying is just to clarify, these things that sound incredibly shady are not illegal. Um, but they so they have all this money and they're just trying to figure out ways to replicate it so they'll go to these lenders and they'll say give me all these shares of this of this stock that i think is overvalued and i think it's going to crater soon so they get these shares and the shares like i said are worth like 100 bucks they sell them to somebody else wait for them to crater to 50 bucks and they're like all right we we'll, we need to buy those back now so they've screwed over the people that they sold them to because now this person is having to sell for $50 less than what they had bought it for. And then they give it back to the lender and they've made 50 bucks from it. However, if they're wrong, because shorting is really just a gamble, there's no guaranteeing that this is going to pan out. If they're wrong and the stock actually rises and it goes from $100 to $200, they still have to buy it back because it's not their stock. They have to give it back to the lender. So they have to buy it back for $200, and they basically just lost 100% of the profit. Um, they have to pay 100 bucks out of pocket in order to f- give this back to the lender. I'm just I'm just here in my garage with my Maserati, and I just, I've, I've, I've become so obsessed with the stock market now. I'm just shorting. I don't even care about money anymore. I just, I just call them shorting pills. And I, I'm, I'm just, I'm here in my garage and I just, I just love to short things. Like that guy who's in those YouTube videos that we've made fun of before, who just makes those weird knowledge pills videos. That, that type of guy is the short people. Like it's, it's, it's 100% just like, douchebag kayfabe to the nines yeah for sure 
This kind of seems weird and shady, right? Well, not only is it perfectly legal and has been done for literally hundreds of years, but also the SEC, the government body tasked with overseeing and regulating the stock market, doesn't even pay attention to what the hedge funds are doing in the first place, even if they were operating in a legal gray area. Hedge funds face little regulation from the SEC compared to other investment vehicles. That's because hedge funds mainly take money from those accredited or qualified investors, high net worth individuals who meet the net worth requirements listed above. Although some funds operate with non-accredited investors, U.S. securities laws dictate at least a plurality of hedge fund participants are qualified. The SEC deems them sophisticated and affluent enough to understand and handle the potential risks that come from a hedge fund's wider investment mandate and strategies, and so does not subject the funds to the same regulatory oversight. So basically, the hedge funds are just in this weird like gray bubble that they've just been put in where because their money that they're playing around with is from these like impossibly rich people that like don't give a fuck they just have no oversight and they just kind of do whatever they want because the government is basically like eh I mean those rich people like know what they're getting into and like if they lose a billion dollars who cares so we're just not even gonna bother checking in on this um don't give a fuck if I cut my stocks bleeding. But, you know, obviously, but, you know, it doesn't it doesn't really factor in the fact that, you know, they're often screwing over these people that they sell the stocks to in order to short them. As we're going to get into with this story, it really is like the Ty Lopez. I mean, well, more successful versions of Ty Lopez, because that guy is you know, he's just a fucking flim flam artist. But these are like high powered, ultra successful versions of Ty Lopez. That are that are doing these these short. These are Tyler Lopez's. They have so much money. They make you say the second syllable of their first name. <laughs> so GameStop was one of the most heavily shorted stocks basically in history because hedge funds were so certain that the company was toast. However, on January 12th of 2021, something insane happened, and it all started with a hobbyist stock trading subreddit called Wall Street Bets. The Wall Street Bets subreddit was created in 2012 by Jaime Rogozinski while he was working as an information technology consultant for the Inter-American Development Bank in Washington, D.C. The 39-year-old who lives in Mexico City found that while visiting internet forums in the early 2010s, he would be told by fellow investors that his investing style was akin to gambling and wasn't going to work out. When he created the group, Rogozinski was keen on making some extra money on top of his job as an IT consultant. I'd go on different forums and ask them, hey, what do you think about XYZ? And most of the times, the sentiment would be, it's too risky, don't try and pick stocks, you're never going to win. But he wasn't enjoying the dry advice from online chat groups, such as the Bogleheads or from the investment banking types on television. And so Rogozinski created the Wall Street Bets subreddit. The group was designed for people to share investing advice, catering to those with a quote-unquote YOLO attitude who approach trading as they might with gambling. subreddit group is Frankenstein. <laughs> that is taking on Wall Street, and he is joining us right now to talk about this incredible development. Jamie, <laughs> Hey, Jamie. to TMZ Live. Hi. Thank you for having me. Hey, you are Jamie. causing a commotion, man. You are the man. I mean, everybody is scratching their heads right now. They, they, it, Wall Street has been turned upside down by this. What I want to know going into this is when you created this forum, what was your MO? What were you trying to accomplish there? Was it this? No, absolutely not. When I created the forum back in 2012, 
I was really looking for a community, for a place for people to talk about high risk trades in an unapologetic way for, for being able to make some, uh, you know, short term money with some disposable income uh, and, and, and using Wall Street as a means to do that. The, the progression of Wall Street bets throughout the years has been nothing short of amazing, along with changes in the overall Wall Street, if we want to call it that, you know, with the advent of these new uh, low cost uh, brokers with low barriers to entry, you have a lot of people pouring into into Wall Street that that didn't used to participate before. To me, this is kind of Wall Street meets GoFundMe. That you've got these people who are saying, "Oh, I find the struggling business," and even though these head fund, these big hedge fund people are betting against it, we're going to go the opposite way. Does this feel like a, an Occupy Wall Street kind of thing to you? You know, I said the tweet about that last night because it did kind of give me the feeling that they are taking a different approach to Occupy Wall Street. You know, instead of uh, trying to beat them, they've joined them and they've done it effectively. Previously, if you wanted to have a seat at the, at the biggest poker table in the world on Wall Street, you needed to work with uh, one of these large funds or one of these big names. And uh, if you wanted to just trade from home on your own, you'd just be a, not even a green in the sand. But what we're seeing now is this collective mass where they're, they're organized in a way that they, uh, that they have forced their way into, into this poker table. And they are effectively uh, outplaying some of these big players, which is just fascinating to watch. There is, there is certainly an element of uh, satisfaction in the way that, that People are taking control of uh, what they want to do, and they're doing it in a way that's fun. What did you think of uh, Elon Musk jumping into uh, jumping into the fray and kind of sticking it to, um, to the hedge fund managers? Uh, you know, Elon Musk is an absolutely wonderful CEO. I think that part of the reason why he's uh, also been a subject of these so-called meme stocks is because of his personality and his, his ability to, to be vocal on Twitter without a filter. Uh, certainly is up his alley as far as what's taking place right now. He's, he's not a fan of the, the establishment and he's had his own issues with uh, the establishment. And, and I think that he likes uh, to see these stories where the, the little guys end up on top. So I think it was wonderful to see his support. Okay, so I need you to put a slightly different hat on right now because I'm sure there are a lot of people in this country right now who are thinking, oh my God, I can make $50 million because you hear about these guys that are making this crazy amount of money. There are perils to jumping into this, aren't there? Absolutely. I mean, this is a casino. Don't make any mistake about it. What these guys are doing is that they're putting all their money on black, you know, and they're, or, or they're just uh, taking these insanely leveraged trades and making a ton of money with, with it. But a lot of people lose money. In fact, historically, most people end up losing money. Uh, what, what you're seeing right now is just, obviously, it's easier to see these headlines of people making, you know, a few thousand dollars into several million dollars. Uh, but it's obviously risky. To that same extent, I give more credit where credit is due. I, I, I think people know what they're doing. When you're going into a, a, it's not even fair to call it an investment. It's called a bet. Uh, you know, they're, they're using stock options that expire in a few days. Uh, there's no way you can justify that as any kind of a long-term strategy. So the anyone that's coming into this is, I, I believe they know that they're buying scratch off lottery. Over the next few years, Wall Street bets remained fairly small and niche. According to subreddit stats, the sub didn't break 100,000 subscribers until 2017. During these early years, the sub was still trying to find its identity, but it still had notable events. 
Martin Scarelli, the farmer bro who is serving a seven-year prison sentence for securities fraud, was a common voice on the sub and a moderator. In June of 2016, he proposed a ban on the word YOLO, meaning you only live once, because the term undermines the central point of investing, and this roll-the-dice mentality is amateurish. It, did, we just, did we just drop into a pocket universe? Did I just agree with something that Martin fucking Screlly just said? I mean, you're, you're, you're full farmer, bro. Bruh, bruh, you, you gotta buy the sell and the low and the high, bruh. Fuck a stock them strange, bruh. Yep, you're, you're just, you're in jail already. Can I interest you in a machine where you fuck a chicken, perhaps? What is, who is that? Who is that? Who is that that's my, that's my, that's my drunk Obi-Wan voice. Have I never done that before? No, I know, but what? he's here now he's his only well he's the great descent drunk drunk obi-wan kenobi is this is the great 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 grandson of the guy who invented the fucking the chillin the fucking the fucking the chicken routine so like you know he's like that's no mood my father was a great light saber jedi guy it's just yolo it means you only live once uh, the term undermines the central point of investing, Mr. Skywalker. <laughs> this roll the dice mentality is amateurish, and I will not have it anymore. I have never heard it in my 15 years on the walls of the streets. <laughs> also, you have to pay $1,400 for insulin. Oh, but, but. You can fuck a chicken for free. <laughs> Buy one $1,400 vial of insulin and get a f- very fuckable chicken for free. The subreddit is honestly full of a bunch of douchey amateur investors who regularly trade in memes that feature racist and ableist language. One of the most popular inside jokes on the subreddit is for them to call each other the R word, both in conversation as well as in memes. For them, it's an affectionate term of endearment because one of the tenets of the subreddit is that they all acknowledge that they are rank amateurs and the techniques they try are incredibly risky and stupid, and they love bragging both about their huge gains as well as their gigantic losses, and calling each other and themselves the R-word, using the term in the way that people used it in the late 90s and early 2000s as a misnomer pejorative to stand in for stupid, is a big part of their culture. It's obviously pretty terrible, but it's also Reddit, so what do you expect? And, and and we we can use this opportunity to kind of talk about this a little bit, um, which I think we were kind of talking about before. We were talking about earlier before we, whenever we were talking about this episode, doing the episode, is that you know we haven't we haven't quite actually gotten into like the events yet. But but one one of the big like narratives of this whole thing is this like you know the 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 David versus Goliath story the 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 you know the the little man against the giant corporate fat cats and these 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 guys are kind of being looked on as as like working class heroes or like folk heroes um that they're like actively taking on the oligarchy and they're you know democratizing um and redistributing wealth um literally like you know the proverbial robin hood um, but you know, we'll, we'll get into this more at, in the actual story, but you know, we could just take the opportunity here to say that number one, these guys are not 
working class heroes. They're not folk heroes. They are just a bunch of guys who are just trying to fuck with the system and like make money, but then also just be trolls and just like fuck with shit. And also, I mean, this this whole community is like just ridiculous. Like, they literally like they got banned from this subreddit's this subreddit got banned from discord because they wouldn't stop using hate speech like they just kept warning them and they just wouldn't stop it um you know these guys they 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 trade in ableist memes they you know they say a lot of racist stuff they're dis- it's a lot of just like edge lord type shit so what you're saying is uh, to put a finer point on it it's less david and goliath and more Karen and Goliath. Got him. Got him. <laughs> yes. And believe it or not, there's been some major drama in the subreddit. Most notably, the time that a literal coup was staged, and the original founder of the subreddit, Jaime Rogozinski, and his team of mods were ousted as the de facto leaders and replaced by a new regime of mods. The reason for this is really weird and shady but it's a subreddit where a bunch of people who obsess over the stock market hang out so what do you expect and basically what 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 this is so you know that video we just watched where Jaime Rogozinski is talking to those fucking that idiot TMZ guy and and the TMZ guy is like you're the man like I this thing you're doing this is crazy people are freaking out you're you're doing some crazy shit like you you guys are the world is burning. You're you're promoting instability. This is great. You guys are taking down Wall Street. I love what you're doing. I love your group. You're you're the man, dog. You're the man. So all that stuff and then him and him being like that. So all of that interview, everything that was being said, he's he's not he hasn't been part of the group for like like a like like a year. Like he has nothing to do with this. He has literally nothing to do with this. He's 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 been going on like a like a media like a like a media round. He's been making media rounds, doing these interviews where he's like pretending like he's been a part of it when he was kicked out of this group like a year ago, and he's literally not involved with it whatsoever. So what you're saying is that he's engaging instead of Wall Street bets. It's more like kayfabe bets yes but so the reason why he was kicked out of the group is because so he started this group and it it grew to a reasonable size and it's just a bunch of like edge bro edge lord bro dudes who like talk about like stocks that they should invest in and do kind of these weird stunts well they'll where they'll put a bunch of money into like a shitty stock and then hope that it like randomly does well and sometimes they lose a lot of money but they kind of like laugh about it sometimes they make money and they post memes about investing all this shit so it gets to a reasonable size and once it gets to a size where it's kind of like a genuine like thing that has a huge following and has like power to drive traffic and get people's attention on things he starts trying to cash in on it so he writes a book about starting the group and about his like cavalier style of investing. And he starts hawking the book, the book in the subreddit. He starts like posting about it and trying to sell it. And then he eventually tries to do a thing 
where he he tries to do a contest called the Wall Street Bet Championship where they're going to hold this contest in this like big esports type arena with with 12 contestants and they'll each put $50,000 into the pool and they'll and the contest will be in this certain allotted amount of time the 12 contestants will, are going to try to see which one of them can can um can return the biggest gains from their $50 $50,000 investment and the winner like takes all or whatever so they're going to do this contest that he announces and the whole thing is sponsored by this investment advice company called True Trading Group. So they announce this and like we're doing this contest it's 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 sponsored by True Trading Group and people are like what is this? Like what the fuck? I thought the whole point of this subreddit was that we don't listen to these like shitty middleman investment advice people that just like, I, try I to take your money. The whole point of this subreddit is that we don't have any expertise or educate ourselves or have any sort of real background in this. We're just idiots. Yeah. I mean, that's literally what that is what they said. Um, and so the mods basically put out a, put out a, uh, you know, a post saying that anybody who says anything negative about the true trading group will be banned immediately. So some of the members start digging into things and they start looking around and they basically discover that Jaime Rogozinski and these other mods, they're involved with this company. They're, they have a stake in it. One of the, one of the mods is like works for this company and Jaime and some of the other mods are like involved in it. So then the, 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 the members basically like come to the conclusion that this is like a, this big financial scam where he's trying to use this group to hawk his book. And get them all to buy into some kind of financial scheme with this company that he's involved with in some way. And so they're all like, fuck this. And they basically stage a coup where a bunch of people get together and they reach out to Reddit. And they're like, this guy is like ruining this community and he's trying to use it to like push his like MLM. And they convince Reddit to kick them out. And so Jaime Rogozinski and these other mods, they get kicked out of the group and a new team of mods take it over. And then this whole GameStop thing happens late, much later on. So they hate this guy. And he starts going on this media round trip, like pretending like he's still involved in this. Um, and then they, and that, that makes them hate him even more because he has nothing to do with this. So then the whole thing, the whole thing just kind of turns into this like weird, shady, like he says, she said type situation because you have the subreddit members being like, this guy sucks. We kicked him out a long time ago because he was like trying to like scam us with his bullshit, like financial schemes. But then you have him saying these guys suck. Like they kicked me out because I was trying to like moderate the group and get them to stop, you know, using hate speech. And like, that's why I got kicked out was because there's like literal white supremacists in this group who just like didn't like me moderating and censoring them. And that's what he claims. And so it's just like, it's like the, this, like he said, she said of like, who, who do you believe when they're both claiming these things? And, you know, it seems like there's some pretty decent evidence that what Jaime is saying about the hate speech is might be accurate because they literally got banned from discord for hate speech. And they post hate speech on this subreddit all the time. So, you know, it kind of seems like maybe that's more of the truth, but I don't know. It, it, but 
probably ultimately the the ultimate truth is probably that just all these dudes are just fucking shady because they started a weird I mean he's definitely shady too. He's the one who's just like, "Yeah, let's just gamble with our money." So, it's just a bunch of it's just a bunch of weird stock market obsessed bros doing weird shit. By mid-2020, constant posts about money made from Tesla trades and meme stocks, investments made that don't make sense by traditional metrics but simply catch on online, created a new gold rush, where users wanted to jump on that bandwagon to financial stability. User F bag holder claimed that they turned $3,000 into $102,000 by taking investment advice from the sub. Another user, Ozbatel, claimed he turned $5,000 into $300,000 by investing in Tesla. A user called Deep Fucking Value has become a bit of a folk hero, posting daily updates about his YOLO stocks that he says he's invested nearly a million dollars into. By December of 2020, the sub had grown to 1.8 million subscribers and was full of screenshots of the app Robinhood, one of the most popular apps used to invest. Here's a post from the subreddit that describes the culture of the group. I've been a member on this sub since we were at 400,000 subscribers. I'm known for never getting the fuck off this sub and collecting taxpayer money as I do it. Seriously, you'll see me here 24 fucking 7, even when I'm working, in air quotes. I'm going to give you the quick rundown of Wall Street Bets culture for newcomers to get acclimated, and if you're a CNBC boomer, not knowing what the fuck is going on in this sub. First of all, Let's go over the lingo slash slang. FD stands for the F word. Stands for the F word. No, not fuck. The other F word. Delight. I don't know what that, I don't know what that means. Oh, it says the F, F word delight. To buy an F word delight is to buy a weekly option that is so fucking R word. It just might work. Like it's like, it's really dumb. Like it, like it's, it's like, I, this plan is so stupid. It just might work. Yeah, but I don't, I don't know what the F word is. Just no, not, not fuck the other F word. Uh, I mean, it, it's obviously the F word that uh, is descendant oh, from a, yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a package of, of yes. uh, sticks, I don't, yeah, a bundle I don't, of sticks. I don't know why I didn't get catch on to that. First of all, let's go over the lingo slash slang. FD stands for the F word in parentheses. No, not fuck the other F word. Delight. To buy FD is to buy a weekly option that is so R-word, it might just work. Then, the R-word. It means you're fucking stupid and you don't know what the fuck you're doing. Autistic. Use autistic to describe someone that actually does due diligence and knows what the fuck they're doing. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I want to, I want to go over this because I really, I mean, this is kind of a side thing of this whole story, but I just really want to hammer in that, like, these are not These dudes suck. folk heroes. These are not like the fucking working class 99% like standing up for the little guy. These are just a bunch of like edgelord idiots. Yeah. First one is free. A phenomena where you are so R-word that you don't know what the fuck you're doing and you somehow make money off of your first trade. When you say... We don't even, we don't need to finish. Every single one of them has the R-word in them. We don't need to do this. It's so it's It's so bad. I don't even want to go through it. Every single one of them has it. The only one I think it's important to know uh, is diamond hands. And diamond hands is like slang for um, this idea that you should always not sell. I mean, like the the term, the, the, the definition he gives it here is 
it might uh it diamond hands it means you never sell your hands are literally made of diamond meaning even when you're in a situation where your stock has made a ton of money and you should sell and get out and be in air quotes conservative or 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 you know take your win and go home and live to fight another day they have a culture around diamond hands uh, around this idea of in air quotes diamond hands meaning it's a culture of you just stay in the game in order to try it. The idea, I guess, in theory is like you try to make even more money, but the uh, fallout of that is because all of the bets are short-term bets, the ideology of Diamond Hands is directly in opposition to that. So it's purposefully counterintuitive and and working against yourself so it sets up permission it sets up a permission structure through the culture of the subreddit that allows people to self-sabotage and encourages self-sabotage yeah and as we'll see as uh, with the with the the whole gamestop thing that that factors in something that had been trending a lot in the group for a couple years was this theory that gamestop was going to end up being a valuable stock despite its consistent failure one of the biggest proponents of this theory was the user Deep Fucking Value, who had been posting long explanations of his theory on why GameStop could turn into a valuable stock since as far back as 2019. His reasoning was he'd actually looked into the specific financial and logistical details of the company, a practice long preached by the billionaire investor Warren Buffett, and found that they had fluid cash on hand. They were pivoting to an online retail business that had consistently grown in the last few years and was still growing despite not actually making up for their loss on the brick and mortar side, and it was slowly making moves toward profitability. At the time in 2019, he invested $50,000 in GameStop, much to the ridicule of most of the other users on the subreddit. However, more evidence soon came that GameStop might not actually be garbage stock. That same year, in 2019, Michael Burry, famously played by Christian Bale in the, 24, in the 2015 Adam McKay movie The Big Short, invested heavily in GameStop. This started to raise the value of the stock. He thought the GameStop stock was undervalued and that GameStop had a future in retail once it was confirmed that Sony and Microsoft were still putting disk drives in the PS5 and the... whatever the fuck the Xbox is called. Xbox supercalifragilisticexpialidocious triple X based on the novel pushed by Sapphire. He reckoned that this alone guaranteed that GameStop would have a role in the retail market providing a space for the discs to be sold. Despite declining sales and the 2020 COVID shutdowns affecting their sales even more because of not being able to open their brick-and-mortar stores, GameStop saw a 500% increase in online sales. Millions of bored people with nothing to do, terrified to step foot outside of their protective boxes, were starting to order from their online store in droves. Not enough to save their business, but enough to show promise. GameStop worked out a licensing deal with Microsoft at the end of 2020, which caused stocks to go up more and also drew the attention of power investor and founder of Chewy, a highly valued public company that trades in online sales of pet products, who purchased shares in the company at a stake of 13% and eventually joined the board of the company, which pushed the stock up even higher. It was at this point, early January 2021, that members of Wall Street Bets started to notice that hedge funds had taken out an inordinate amount of risky bets against GameStop stock plummeting. Despite the fact that they had a decent idea, it might actually start to recover. That's when a plan was hatched. A Wall Street Bets user outlined a plan in a post to the subreddit. The plan's goal was to simultaneously invigorate the stocks of GameStop, line their pockets with cash, and also screw over the shrewd hedge fund oligarchs all at the same time. So this was, this was basically the drafted plan for what they were going to do. So everything that happened that ends up happening, they basically planned it out and did 
more or less exactly what they said they were going to do. The user player 896 makes a post in Wall Street Bets called Bankrupting Institutional Investors for Dummies featuring GameStop. What's going on? Are people that stupid? Just jumping on the new console cycle? Idiots not pulling their gains and going to zero? Nearly 120% short interest, yet the stock is up 40% this week. It's no secret GameStop has been hurting. The secular shift in digital has been pressuring them for some time with their highest margin category, used video software, under significant distress. Each year, their gross margins contract, with net income in the red these past few quarters. Everybody has written them off as the easiest short in the world. However, I'm going to try and explain what's going on and to tell you that buying GameStop may not be as bad as you think. Here's the real kicker. GameStop's short float, 120%, has never been seen before. The short theory is that GameStop would not make it to the new console cycle, and the shorters would collect their tendies. That's so stupid sounding. But GameStop made it. Current short fees are like 60%, and from some figures we can draw, we estimate around 70% of the shorts got in under $7. GameStop is currently near 10. 70% of the shorts are underwater. Even if you don't believe in any of the initiatives will work, you have to admit that the company will be able to continue to operate for another two years off this new console hype alone. When the stock hits roughly $15, you can expect to see several margin calls trigger and fucking massive short squeeze. Just the fact that Jimmy got to the new console cycle must be making the shorts cry. Add on that that they've been making serious progress towards online and mobile presences, aligning themselves with industry trends, operating in a growing market, potential monopoly in this untapped retro market, solid financials beginning their new upward cyclical cycle. You have the making of a powerful e-commerce storefront just leaning into their growth period. Even post-console hype, they should have the ability to leverage their branded credit card to retain a huge number of customers and bite off a huge market share over other retailers. Lastly, remember that despite the trend towards digital, it's in the gaming industry's best interest to keep GameStop going strong. The company is going to ride the console hype and likely trigger more than a few margin calls going away. Everything management has been doing to ride this new cycle, a fluid e-commerce system and everything I'm seeing suggests it's going to work. So Wall Street bets hope to trigger a short squeeze, basically a chain reaction of a stock that is being heavily shorted, rising dramatically in value by having a surge of traders buy the stock, raising its prices, which will force hedge funds to quickly buy their shorted shares back before the prices get too high, which would raise the price even more. And that's exactly what they fucking did. That's so crazy. It's so crazy that 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 worked. Like it's everything about this is just like there's no way this will work. There's no way this will work. These guys suck. There's no way this will work. And then it worked. Yeah, and it's interesting because yeah, because all these all everything else about you know because I I I I dove pretty deep into the subreddit just looking at posts and reading stuff that I wasn't even going to include in the in anything we've talked about. I just wanted to kind of look at what this group was. Um. And yeah, I mean, they really like, I feel like 90% of the time they just come off like just random, you know, idiots that are just posting memes and shit. Just any subreddit you see where people are just like shit posting. But it's interesting because that what we just read 
that was written well before any of this happened. It was like a, it was like a plan that they were kind of kicking around that some of the members of the group were kind of like advocating and saying like, this is, this is something like, I feel like we need to do something about this or this is something I'm noticing. And so that post was like written like four months ago and he beat for beat gets everything right. Everything that's said in there is all completely true. And it's like largely being credited for why this is happening right now. On January 12th, GameStop stock price began its meteoric rise to historic highs, blasting past its meager $15 share price in mid-December to a peak of $467 per share. Huge investment firms like Melvin Capital and Citadel immediately started buying their shares back, which drove the price up even more. The firms and funds lost billions overnight. Some of the firms, such as Melvin, had shorted so heavily on the stock that they couldn't even buy back the newly valued stock. It literally bankrupted them. If not for several corporate bailouts, a bunch of these hedge funds would have shuddered in a matter of days. And yet these amateur retail traders continued buying up the stock and hoarding it, driving up the prices more and more. Deep fucking value, the Wall Street Bets user who invested 50k in GameStop back in 2019, turned his investment into 50 million dollars in a matter of days. I can't, I can't, I can't even, I can't even, that's so nuts. Like that dude's like, I got $50 million now. Well, actually not because he's not selling, but. Bro, just sell, bro. Just sell. Just get off this toxic message board. Meet some nice young lady. Go have a family. Just start a business. Make a movie. Uh, get into yarn collecting. I don't know. Whatever you want to do, man. $50 million. That's more money than anybody needs. That's more money than a f- that any family needs. You got this, bro. Move to move to fucking Duluth. Buy a compound. You got this, man. Cash out, man. Fuck this diamond hand. Toilet paper hands it, man. Yeah, dude. Fucking fucking full toilet paper hands. Downy, baby. Embrace the downy. Give me them downy fingers. That's that's what I would I'd be full downy. Dude, I'm I'm downy right now. I'd be Robert Downey Jr. up in that bitch. Bruh, I'd be I'd be Robert Downey Sr. Oh yeah. These were some of the biggest hedge funds that were affected by this squeeze, by the short squeeze. 0.72 asset management. Uh Steve Cohen's hedge fund 0.72 lost 15% this year as GameStop shares skyrocketed according to New York Times. It had around 19 billion under management. Woof. Melvin Capital was investing some money on 0.72's behalf, the New York Times reported. Andrew Left Crichton Capital, Crichton Research's Andrew Left, threw a towel in on Wednesday saying he had closed most of his firm's short position when GameStop traded at $90 at a loss of 100%. Melvin Capital suffered heavy losses during the GameStop saga, causing Citadel and 70.72 to inject almost $3 billion into the ailing hedge fund. Melvin attracted uh, the ire of Reddit users and Wall Street bets, but the exact scale of the losses as yet unknown. D1 Capital Partners has lost around 20% in January as a result of GameStop, and Bloomberg reported citing people briefed uh, with the situation. Uh, Dan Sundheim's fund controlled $20 billion at the start of the year. So 20% of $20 billion. Jesus. Maple Lane Capital shed around 33% this month after shorting GameStop. Bloomberg reported citing investors 
the $3.5 billion hedge fund had bet against GameStop using uh, put options contracts, which let investors bet on a stock price that will, that'll, that it will fall. Candlestick capital uh, management losses were in the mid to low teens in a percentage terms. According to Wall Street Journal, the $3 billion hedge fund based in Greenwich, Connecticut was stated by a former Citadel portfolio manager. And that, and those are just the biggest ones. There were like literally probably hundreds of hedge funds that were just like fucking hammered by this. In addition to GameStop, the members of Wall Street Bets also started buying up shares of several other meme stocks, such as movie theater chain AMC, smartphone company BlackBerry, and Nokia. And they drove up prices on those stocks as well, although not as dramatically as GameStop. Wealthy independent investors nicknamed Whales heard this chatter and decided to jump in themselves, including tech mogul Elon Musk. A couple days ago, he tweeted GameStonk on the evening of January 26th, which sent GameStop's prices up to $230 from $150. That's so bizarre that you can just say, a, you're, you're so wealthy and powerful and have so much attention that you say a meme. You just say GameStonk. He, he wasn't even advocating for anything. He just said GameStonk. It drove it from $150 to $230 per share because he said game stonk. But that's what that's what this is. That's the toupee, the toupee is fitting mighty strange these days. But it, it goes back to that idea of uh, how, you know, the, the 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 fluctuations of the shares back in the old days when people would just spread rumors and things like that. Um, now it's just like because of the age of social media and just the weirdness of our society, you can just say game stonk. And it. And it like it like the the economy shudders. It, it gives a guttural roar <laughs> because he said game stonk. So now what do these stocks just keep rising until some kind of bubble bursts? Well, maybe, but we won't know because a few days after the meteoric rise of the stock, something pretty fucked up happened. Following this extraordinary moment for small-time traders, politicians like New York Congresswoman's Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez tweeted, It's really something to see Wall Streeters being bested by a message board. Barstool Sports' David Portney egged traders on even more by tweeting that he predicted trading would be intergalactic. Tons of online stock exchanges started halting or limiting the purchasing of these meme stocks. On popular trading apps like E-Trade and Robinhood, you were no longer allowed to buy GameStop or AMC stock. This caused the price surge of GameStop to immediately drop from over $400 to about $120. However, it recovered and at the time of this recording, right now GameStop is at $312 per share. The halting of GameStop trading caused a massive backlash from both the retail traders as well as a bunch of big money investors and even the government. Hedge fund managers and big bankers accused this surge of being market manipulation and decried the irresponsible actions as leading to huge trouble for the economy. But many believe this to be hypocritical, as the retail traders were literally only doing what hedge funds have been doing for hundreds of years. That's when this whole thing turned into class warfare. After a day of being raked over the coals by lawmakers and users, Robinhood put out a vague statement attempting to explain why it stopped allowing its users to buy GameStop, AMC, Nokia, and other meme stocks that were skyrocketing in price. Our mission at Robinhood is to democratize finance for all. We're proud to have created a platform that has helped everyday people from all backgrounds shape their financial futures and invest for the long term. 
We continuously monitor the markets and make changes where necessary. In light of recent volatility, we restricted transactions for certain securities to position closing only. We also raised margin requirements for certain securities. Amid significant market volatility, it's important as ever that we help customers stay informed. That's why we're committed to providing people with educational resources. We recently revamped and expanded Robinhood Learn to help people to take advantage of hundreds of financial resources we offer and educate themselves, including how to make sense of a volatile market. In 2020, more than 3.2 million people have read our articles through Robinhood Learn. We're committed to helping our customers navigate this uncertainty. We fundamentally believe that everyone should have access to financial markets. We're humbled to have helped people invest in the markets for the first time. And we're determined to provide new and experienced investors with the tools and resources to help them invest responsibly for long-term financial futures. So basically, uh, you know, what, what's come out of this is that what started off as, you know, these guys, you know, just kind of doing this in this weird kind of like semi-ironic meme troll kind of way where they thought it'd be funny to artificially inflate the value of GameStop and it was kind of based on this this running theory that actually kind of had some legitimacy to it um and they thought that it was a, would could be an opportunity to make money and also to just kind of like screw over these hedge fund guys once once it started kind of building hype and people started paying attention to it and people started like big people started tweeting about it and talking about it and then especially once the the trading app started halting trading of of GameStop then it kind of shifted and it it started to become this genuine um social issue that that sparked this conversation about the about class dynamics and so you had all these people starting to talk about the the story within the paradigm of class dynamics and then it kind of it kind of whipped these guys into a frenzy to start kind of you know, whether or not they were really thinking about it in this way beforehand, they started kind of leaning into that and started to being like, yeah, like we're we're fighting the we're fighting the the man and they're trying to shut us down. And, you know, they're we're trying to read. We're trying to steal the wealth away from, you know, the these this the one percent and redistribute it to the ninety nine percent. And, you know, they're they're you know, we're just playing by the same rules that they've been playing by all these times. And, you know, whenever whenever the rich, uh, you know, bankers and, and, and brokers cheat and game the system, it's fine. But whenever, you know, the, the working man does it, then suddenly, you know, they have to they have to stop us. They have to put a stop to it because the, the game is rigged against us. Um, however much they were thinking in those terms before that became the narrative, I don't know, but you know, whether or not they intended it to be or whether or not they're the right poster people for this, it's what the conversation began became. And, uh, you know, like I said, whether or not it's whether or not that's what they were kind of intending to be or whether or not they're sort of deserving of being given all this credit. Um, you know, it's a worthy it's a worthy conversation to be having. Um, it's definitely definitely an interesting conversation and an interesting dynamic to be to be observing. Um, but, uh, you know, there, there's some speculation about, you know, why these 
halts happened specifically, you know, with Robin Hood, because, you know, as we read in that statement, they're talking about the volatility of the market and how they have to, you know, they have to halt trading in order to, uh, you know, in order to account for volatility. Some analysts and experts theorize that the reason why they halted is because they're they're just running out of cash that like Robin Hood just literally can't um, account for this huge growth in their users shares because they just don't have enough liquid cash to be able to f- handle it. You know, whatever, whatever it is, you know, the, the, this, the speculation is that they're basically doing it just to bail out the, the hedge funds, um, especially Robin Hood, who literally has funding is funded and has shareholders that are, some of these hedge funds that are being affected, uh, specifically, I think it's Citadel, uh, Citadel, um, one of the, one of the hedge funds that's, that was hugely affected by this, uh, short squeeze is a, is an investor in Robinhood and pays them for the data on their users. So, you know, it's, it's speculated that they're, you know, they've done this, this halting to, to benefit the the hedge funds the rich the rich uh wall street people which is just incredibly ironic because not only is the mission statement of the app supposed to be to democratize trading but they're literally called Robinhood the name of their company is Robinhood literally like there's no it Verhoeven's toupee is dead like it's it, the irony is so crushing i i can feel my sternum collapsing yeah, it's it's like it's you couldn't even you can't make that up. It, it, you can't make up that in a in a in a late stage capitalist society that a business would form around the mission statement of literally stealing from the rich and giving to the poor using the iconography of a folk hero who would like stop like rich royalty as they were like traveling across the country in their stagecoaches and just steal their jewels and gold and then give it to poor village people. And that that company selling off of that iconography and that concept would become like a mole crony for the fucking rich fat cats. You just can't, you can't make that up. Yeah. That, that meeting would get you'd get you that that pitch meeting they'd be like mm, I don't know mm. can 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 the CEO of Robinhood can his mother and the CEO of Jaime Jorgis Vlorgis Klingenskinski whatever the shit his name was when they when they fight in the third act can both of their mothers be named Martha otherwise I don't really think there's going to be enough emotional connective tissue all right well this was a great meeting I have to talk to a guy now who's going to Try and sell me some device that has something to do with chickens now. I'm not, I'm not sure. <laughs> so after the after this halting, the great the great halting that happened, where all these all these day trading retail trading services halted trading on GameStop and these other meme stocks, um, it it got so big that it drew the attention of the government. So at this point, uh, the White House is actively monitoring the situation. Um, the Federal Reserve and Senator Elizabeth Warren have weighed in on it. Uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission said it was monitoring market volatility. And then this, this dub, t- this dovetails into even more just like fucking Verhoeven's toupee shit. So, um, 
AOC, after this halting, AOC tweeted and said that the the restrictions that Robinhood was was putting on the trading was unacceptable on January 28th, which uh, prompted uh, Ted Cruz, Senator Ted Cruz, to retweet her post and say he fully agreed with it, which prompted AOC to respond to that and say, you literally tried to have me murdered three weeks ago. Go fuck yourself. I'm willing to work with any Republican on issues who didn't try to have me assassinated. Ted Cruz is the Zodiac killer. You heard it here. You heard it here. Yep. We're the first people to break this. And there's just been all kinds of back and forth. I mean, this, this is literally like, you know, the talk about this GameStop stuff has replaced politics on social media. It's just all that anybody is talking about right now. It's crazy how much this is being talked about right now. Uh, and, and currently, basically, the, the current situation with that whole thing is that Robin Hood is facing a, a class action lawsuit um, alleging that it deprived retail investors of the ability to invest in the open market and manipulated the open market. Because once, once they halted the trading, the, the stock dropped, um, but it has recovered quite significantly, as we talked about earlier. And that's basically where we're at now. GameStop's shares are still high. Hedge fund managers and other Wall Street types are still in a world of financial trouble. The government is actively monitoring the situation and assessing whether or not anything being done is illegal or unethical. And the Wall Street bet people are holding the line, quote unquote, and refusing to sell their shares. We're basically in a standoff between the top 1% of the financial elite and the bottom 99% of the working class. And they're essentially basically both double fisting handguns, one pointed at the other and the other pointed at the American economy. The story isn't over yet, but already we've seen some miraculous things happen. Essentially, AMC and GameStop, two companies who were certain they were going to file for bankruptcy in the next year, have sold a ton of their own stock shares at these increased prices, offset a ton of their debt, and they're both in good financial shape for the foreseeable future. Like literally, overnight, two multi-billion dollar corporations who were drowning in debt and were going out of business are just fine now. Because of this, they still aren't out of the woods yet in terms of turning their businesses around and surviving in the long term, but this fucking meme has bought both of them at least three more years of stability. That's fucking insane. It's just literally overnight. Like GameStop has started to do this and they've they've basically gotten themselves in uh, in good shape by selling a bunch of their shares. I think maybe even their shares aren't enough to really offset like the majority of their debt. But like AMC, like they've cleared themselves of like six hundred million dollars in debt with with selling these shares. Six hundred million dollars in Don Drapers. That's what it, it's, it's, it's a, that's a, that's called the Don Draper, that, that move. Yeah. They pulled the Don Draper. I mean, and, and you know, it's, 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 it's insane. And part of you, because of our need for the narrative, for the storytelling, you feel sort of an excitement about this. You're like, yeah, like these fucking, they did it. They're fucking, they're doing it, man. The underdog, like they're getting they They, they were almost at the brink of extinction. They snatched success out of the jaws of defeat. They came in and, and then you're just like, you know, this this miraculous thing happens where it's just at the last moment, this this miracle thing happens. Han, you know, comes out of nowhere. He didn't leave after all. And he, 
he scares off the the tie fighters and luke can fucking destroy the death star but they're they're just like huge corporations like why can't something like this happen for just fucking us and i don't mean us specifically but i just mean people who are struggling like right now all the people who are struggling in this pandemic losing jobs um businesses small businesses that are that are that are facing extinction and getting getting no getting no support and you know can't you know come up for air you know why like this why can't something like this happen for those people um it's it's really cool and interesting and fascinating and insane that through this crazy byzantine interwoven series of histories all coalescing and coming together in this one moment where you have like the history of wall street and like wall street short selling and the history of gamestop and the all the complicated sequences of events that led them to what they became and the internet and social media and reddit and these group of guys and like how it all just came together to create this perfect storm that just like took a company that was just going to go out of business like every other big box brick and mortar business that has gone out of business inevitably over the last you know 20 years circuit city borders uh blockbuster all these companies that just they just it's happened they just they got they they were fucked they went they they they're dead and this one company that was like on that same inevitable tract it's just like they woke up one morning and they were just like never mind the the tumor's gone and like why like why can't that happen for like these people that are fucking just drowning i'm dave baker and i'm andrew price this has been deep cuts you can find me at heydavebaker.com, where you can find comics like Night Hunters, Star Trek Voyager, Seven's Reckoning, Fuck Off Squad, Action Hospital, a myriad of other books, uh, and pins and stickers and all kinds of nonsense, if that's something that you're into. Andrew, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me just just eyes glued to the, to the, to the Dow, waiting for my chance to strike and and buy buy low on the on the on the newest meme stock and then sell high just cash out then i'm fucking done if i if i if i if if like tomorrow they're like yeah fucking uh stocks in stocks in ross are like heavily shorted against and they think that they're gonna tank but like in reality like ross is gonna like survive longer than any other retail outlet ever and they're about to come back in a big way so buy buy right now and it's gonna it's gonna pay off and if i i i invest like a couple thousand dollars in ross dress for less and then like in a week i'm like i have like 300 million dollars like i'm i'm cashing out I'm quitting this fucking podcast never gonna <laughs> see me again never hear from me again i'll just be i'll be in my i'll be in my mansion just fucking as many chickens as i can get my hands on <laughs> and uh, you can also find me at dapricerights.com where you can get my book deadbolt ai private eye you can also get our new mystery treehouse investigation agency patches at deepcuts.com our new yes at deepcutspod.com
So anyway, yeah, that was a good episode. Hey, Andrew and Dave, what's up? What are you guys doing? Uh, God damn it, Hillsmore, we're just about done with this thing, man. We're just recording the, the outros. I, I know you want to record a new episode of, uh, you know, Hillsmore's Everyday Muppet Struggle or whatever the fuck it is that you do, but we're, we're just like almost done, man. What, what, what's the episode about? Game, game stock and this whole stock market thing. I'm, I don't know how much you pay attention to that kind of shit. That actually reminds me. This is a perfect opportunity to, to, to introduce you guys to the opportunity of a lifetime no no whatever it is already no i don't i have decided in my infinite wisdom to take hillsmer's pirate music site public i'm launching the ipo for hillsmer's pirate music site but you know what my ipo is going to be traded exclusively in a new cryptocurrency that i created called Hillsmer's Cryptocurrency. This isn't a joke. This is a real thing. I actually created a real cryptocurrency called Hillsmer's Cryptocurrency that is actually recognized in cryptocurrency exchanges on the internet. It has an, it has an actual value that can be exchanged for other cryptocurrencies. And I'm going to sell shares of Hillsmer's pirate music site in Hillsmer's cryptocurrency, and all you have to do is leave a five-star review for this show on Apple Podcasts. Hillsmer, what was the name of this Bitcoin again? Hillsmer's cryptocurrency. Yeah, so if you if you want if you want a share of Hillsmer's pirate music site in Hillsmer's cryptocurrency, a real, actual, publicly acknowledged cryptocurrency. Give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you don't have an Apple Podcast, everyone has a fucking Apple ID. But if you don't, create one. It's free. Sign in. Even if you don't listen on Apple Podcasts, just go give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out. After you leave the review, take a screenshot of it and email it to andrew at boygeniusmedia.com. And then we can work out sending you the share of Hillsmer's Pirate Music site in Hillsmer's cryptocurrency. I can't stress enough that this is not a joke. This is real. Deep Cuts is a production by Boy Genius Media. If you'd like to find this show and others like it, please visit boygeniusmedia.com or deepcutspod.com. If you want to join in on post-episode discussions, please join the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. Finally, subscribe to our YouTube channel for additional video content. The incidental music for this episode was created by D. Catalano, whose music can be found at wekeepoddhours.bandcamp.com and Dad Beats. You can listen to his podcast, Food Fight, a food discussion podcast, Anywhere you get your podcasts, Pseudocide, who can be found on Facebook at P-S-E-U-D-O-C-I-D-E, with spaces between each letter because apparently Facebook doesn't like the use of the Latin stem side, and the Dead Boy Detectives. I'm, I'm picturing him being like a, like a, like a, like a little guy, like, like just like a normal, like a normal guy, but like little. Is he just like a little guy that he helps you come like connect all them wires? Because I, I love these some video games, but I'm not going to lie to you. Can I finish, can I finish setting up this video game? 
uh, terminal? And the answer, the answer is no. I never can finish it. Never. I need a, I need a tiny little cabbage man to put it all together for me. Where's the little yellow one go? Where's the red one go? Sometimes there's a white one. Where's that one? I don't even know. I didn't even know there's a third one. Where's that go? Is he, is this little man, this little man, he's a little man. He's like a tiny little man. And then he has like a, like a cabbage, like suit on. Like he's got like a, he's got like cabbage armor. He's got like cabbage armor around his skin or is his skin cabbage? Can I eat him? Is it cannibalism if I eat the little man that is made of cabbage? I love bacon, lettuce, and tomato. Can I finish? Can I finish my bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich made of the Babbage Man? Can we brand Babbage as a separate company selling cannibalistic uh, tiny people to other people to eat as a delicacy? And then Ross Perot went on to found that company and use the massive profits to fund his presidential campaign in the... In the early 90s. <laughs> can, I finish, can I finish hearing this pitch? Yes, Ross, if you would let us continue. But can I finish? I'm listening. I'm listening, okay? I'm listening. Also, also, can I finish? Beyonce had one of the greatest music videos of all time. <laughs> <laughs> is Kanye the Ross Perot of the 2000s? Yes, he is. <laughs> Ross Perot had like a secret, um, a secret fashion career where he was just like, I'm going to, I'm going to redefine fashion. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make shoes that are like squishy looking. Have you ever, have you ever looked at shoes? They're, they're crazy looking, but I want them to be more crazy looking. I want everyone to look homeless and I love the color beige. Do you like the color beige? Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm more of a video game person, which is why I started Babbage's. The company that's going to bring video games. No, I thought we agreed. Babbage's are little tiny cannibalistic weird monster guys who like eat video games. Isn't that what they do? Don't they? Don't they eat the video games? No, Ross. They they don't eat video games. They don't exist. Hey, don't try to straight man me. You're the one that literally introduced this cabbage monster thing. Like that's not. <laughs> that's not me. I don't give a shit about no cabbage monster. Look at me. Let me finish. Let me finish. Does it look like I give a shit about a cabbage monster? No. That was you. That was you, Gary M. Custom. Fucking nerd. (laughs) (laughs) Dear God. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. That's all I've got to bring to this episode is just Ross Perot impersonations and and cabbage cannibals. Yes, the presidential cannabis... (laughs) 